0: The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Dr. Craig Troxell. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. So before we look at our passage in John's prologue, I'd like us to look at a brief passage in Exodus chapter 33, beginning at verse 18, reading through chapter 34, verse 7. The the passage that I think is the backdrop uh, for what what John is doing at the end of his prologue. So Exodus 33, uh, beginning at verse 18 through 34, verse 7. Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by... I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain." No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord... The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now turning to John chapter 1. And I'll just read verses 14 through 18 this morning. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we are like shallow vessels that need to be filled. And so we come looking to that vast supply of your goodness and blessing that you have promised your people. So send forth the light of your grace and truth this morning. Let them lead us to your holy hill. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, February 18, 1546. I'm sure all of you remember what happened on that date. Of course you don't. I have notes. I have an advantage over you. Uh, A man is dying on his bed, and his report his very last words were, we are beggars. This is true. Dying words of Martin Luther. Uh, For many people, that would seem to be an odd thing to say of a man who had such a full life, uh, who had such intelligence, such training, who had written so much, who had done so much, experienced so much, a very, very full life. And yet, uh, on your deathbed, to say something like, we are beggars, it has that biblical ring to it. It reminds us of how the Lord starts out uh, with the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, Blessed are those who recognize that when they look within, they do not see vastness or, or wealth, uh, this great depository of, of wisdom. Instead, what they, they look within and they see a moral bankruptcy. They see that they are spiritually impoverished. They see their need. And that is the brilliance of the Christian faith. Christianity does not ask you the question, what do you bring? You know, what do you have? Christianity asks you to admit what you do not have. It's not just looking to see what you have, it's looking to see what you do not have. And that is good news. Or the passage like this is good news for those of us who understand this very well. Now, if you're looking for a full exegesis of these verses, prepare to be disappointed. I'm just going to look at two things this morning. First of all, uh, what does John mean when he says, uh, what we have seen? And then secondly, what we have received. Those are the two points. I'm just looking at some, a couple narrow things this morning, there's so much here and so much in the Old Testament background. But here you can see, finally, uh, he gets to his point. He's been giving us some of these, these characteristics, uh, these identifiers of the Word. But now he finally says the Word became flesh. Now he, he comes, as it were, to the summit, as it were, uh, by speaking of his incarnation. That he became like us. Uh, that divinity took humanity upon himself. He took to himself a true body. And soul. And so he dwelled among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us. Of course, this conjures the idea of God's presence among God's people at the tabernacle and then at the temple. But now he's saying, no, now he dwells in a human body. And so this is what he's talking about when he says, We have seen his glory. We have literally seen him. Now, by glory, uh, we can mean various things. John Piper says, God's glory is the visible splendor of the moral beauty of God's manifold. Perfections. And there he is getting at the idea of how glory is often attached or associated with light. There's this brilliance to it when there's this display of God's glory. But it also means it's a display of all that God is. And so as we think of the more literal understanding of glory, his, God's weightiness, that this is not one you could easily dislodge, it shows us not just the brilliance but the immensity of God's holiness and his might and his majesty and his Power And this is what Moses wanted to see in Exodus 33. That was his request. Show me your glory. To which God said, not possible. You cannot see my glory. You cannot see my face and live. You, would, you will die. But I'll do this, he says in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim my name. That's exactly what God does. And so John says we have seen it. We've, we've seen his glory. What has he seen? He says, we've seen the one who came full of grace and truth. He says something else here too, but I'm not going to go after that. We just have a little bit of time. We have seen this one who came full of grace and truth. Now we can define grace as when God comes to you and he gives to you what you do not deserve, what you did not earn, what you cannot produce. And by truth here, it's speaking of God's faithfulness, that God is true to his promises. He's true to his word. He will not abandon his covenant or his covenant promises. He will not abandon his people. But there's something more taking place. And it's the, the bringing together of these two words of grace and truth. We're to see them together. Because together what they pointed to is Exodus 34, verse 6. When God proclaims his goodness and his name, and at the end of it he says that he is a God who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. These words grace and truth are meant to uh, capture this, these words of his steadfast love and faithfulness. So God said, I will make all my goodness uh, pass before you and proclaim my name, and here it is, the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now here's what's wonderful about this phrase. It's repeated throughout all the Old Testament, perhaps the most quoted passage in the Old Testament by the Old Testament. not been able to verify that yet, but I'm pretty sure I'm right because Brian and Estelle agrees with me. And so and it's, it's literally 14 times exactly all of this phrase of God's goodness. the God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 14 times that's quoted. But 81 times we have this phrase of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness quoted throughout the Old Testament. It is everywhere, especially the Psalter. And just as a curiosity to you, when you open up your Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, number four, and it says, what is God? Well, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and, and his being, wisdom, power, holiness, goodness, and truth. Goodness and truth. That's the King James Version's translation of Exodus 34, 6. And what's interesting is, most often, this word steadfast love, said. It's usually translated kindness or loving kindness by the King James, but here it translates it as goodness. It's just a curious thing. But that's why the Shorter Catechism ends that way. It's referring to this passage. And John is doing the same. Because he not only says that the word became flesh, came in grace and truth, he says he came full, full of grace and truth. And they're referring to Exodus 34, 6, that this is a God who abounds, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That this, this gift that God gives, this, this grace, it's given as an unrestrained gift. It, it's a large gift. It's given lavishly, liberally. It abounds. That God is teeming with this, and it just pours out from him to his people. He overflows with it, and it exceeds all of our expectations. Psalm 103 says it's, it's higher than the heavens are above the earth. Psalm 136 says it's a love that endures forever. And so it's tapping into how we understand all of God's unlimited resources. This is the God with the power without equal. God of wisdom and knowledge without end. Well, he's also a love without measure. This is what he has. And so that fullness of God's goodness that was revealed at Mount Sinai, John says, now it is revealed in the word become flesh. And when God descended upon that mountain, At Mount Sinai, nobody doubted who this God was and what he could do. As he descended in fire and smoke and gave a warning, don't let anybody come on this mountain or even any flocks on the opposing mountain. But even the mountain shook. The people were terrified. Even Moses was afraid. We read, nobody doubted what he could do and probably expected him to say, because this comes after the golden calf incident, I am a God of terrible wrath and righteousness, You've had your last chance. And that's not what he says. He proclaims his goodness and the goodness that his name the Lord speaks. A God who is merciful and gracious. A God who is slow to anger. A God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And this is underlined in verse 17. The law is given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, what is the point? The point is certainly not that the law has no grace. Or in the giving of the law that it lacked truth or, or the faithfulness of God. Or that the law is against grace or something like that. No. What John is doing, he's drawing a contrast here between something which is the instrument and that which is the reality. The instrumentality of Moses, the reality of Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, came to us in Jesus Christ. Moses is even an instrument of grace and truth, but Jesus Christ is grace and truth. What Moses proclaimed, this is what Jesus embodied. What was given through Moses is realized in Jesus, in fullness, in abundance. And so through Christ we receive But Moses could not give. Now, this is good news. This is good news for us. Because what have we received? John says, we know that he was full of grace and truth because, verse 16, from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Brothers and sisters, we require grace upon grace. Because we have need upon need. We come to God. How do we come to him? In the wealth of our, of our spiritual excellence and, and wisdom and the vast treasures of our, of our strength and our consistency of obedience. Is that how we come to God? We come to him in our, in our neediness, our fallen wickedness and our brokenness. We come to him in our foolishness and our weakness in our Emptiness. We are beggars. But how does he come to us? He comes to us, Christ comes to us in his fullness, in the fullness of his grace, in the grace that that conceived and designed and guaranteed our redemption, in the grace that stooped to take our nature upon himself and to receive the burden of our sin and to yield to its weight, to the weight of its condemnation, And it's sting. Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. It's grace. It's in the grace that chose us and opened our eyes and our ears, that that forgave us, that accepted us, that adopted us, that sanctifies us, that will glorify us. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved "'Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home.'" It's all grace. And what a good thing this is, because Christ comes to a very needy people, but he comes in his fullness, he comes in his sufficiency, both with regard to his person and his work, with regard to his his person. Everything that God is, all that God has, everything that God can do is in Christ our Savior. But with regard to his work, His obedience is sufficient to fulfill all righteousness. His blood is sufficient to wash away all the corruption and pollution of our sin. His death is sufficient to remove the condemnation of our sin. And His resurrection is sufficient to win the victory over the sting of our sin. His spirit and His power, all these blessings that are poured out upon us, His promises, His word, and His steadfast love and His faithfulness, these are more than sufficient to save us. Nothing more needs to be endured or to be accomplished or uh, to be provided or to be uh, secured for us. Christ is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Another way of saying this is that the Savior that we so desperately need is the Savior we have. Because is it is not true that even as Christians we do not always feel whole or complete or sufficient or wise or strong, or good. Not every day feels like a resurrection day. And instead, we feel the nearness of our sin, the immediacy of sins just committed. We feel the emptiness of our self-indulgence and the foolishness of our pride. And so what do we do? We look to Christ. And we're just not looking to Christ's love. That's not the point. We're looking to the superabundance of his steadfast love and faithfulness. But here finally is a love that endures and that overcomes and a love that, that conquers. Here is a bond that nothing can sever, no matter how big it may be, or no matter how terrifying, no matter how ugly it is within or how hard it is without. Here is a love that cannot grow cold, that cannot be exhausted, that knows no limits. There's nothing greater than this love, nothing stronger or deeper or higher, nothing more committed than this love, this is the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. This is the love that gets a hold of you and never lets go. And it's free for the asking. But only those who know that they need it will ask for it. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, we know our need. And often we feel our need. It is out of the desperation of that need that we cry out to you and have cried out to you. And you have answered us and you always will. That you are the God who is merciful and gracious, the God who has been so slow to anger, and again and again proven to us that you are the God who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we see this in the face of your Son, who came full of grace and truth. And we bless you because from that fullness, we have received grace upon grace and blessing upon blessing. Continue, Father, to bless us, not only for the sake of our needs, but for the sake of Christ, that his loveliness and his excellence would continue to be exalted. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California, 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.